0: I'm Carrie Fountain, and this is Just to Say, where we talk to poets about the poems they make and the poems they love. Poetry's about anarchy, it's about mystery, it's about dreams, it's about, you know, the unknown. I made myself anew in poetry. The poem invites the world to come celebrate.
1: I'm Naomi Nye. To manage. She writes to me. I can't sleep because I'm 17. Sometimes I lie awake thinking I didn't even clean my room yet. And soon I will be 25 and a failure. And when I am 50, oh, I write her back. Slowly, slow, clean one drawer. Arrange words on a page. Let them find one another. Find you. Trust they might know something. You aren't living the whole thing at once. That's what a minute said to an hour. Without me, you are
0: nothing. Thank you so much for reading that. So wonderful to hear it in your voice. Tell me about where this poem came from. Well, I received an email from a girl in Massachusetts. I had been there
1: uh, to accept... The Robert Creeley Award, which was very touching to me because Robert Creeley meant a lot to me when I was growing up. And I was actually at his high school in mm. Massachusetts. And some of the students asked me, as they often do for my email address, and, and she wrote me afterwards. And that's literally how she started her email, I can't sleep because I'm 17. You know, then once we get down to, and soon I will be 25, th- that's me taking off from her initial letter. But I often think about how many ways we use words every day and how there could be a little more poetry infused into all these different areas of speech. You know, poetry and how we talk and listen to kids and neighbors and one another in our homes, our families, but also our inboxes, which are perpetually refilling, like the endless replenishing spring source. So sometimes it's nice to, you know, use what's there, especially if it's so haunting. I was very haunted by I can't sleep because I'm 17.
0: This poem is magical in that it also carries like the weight of the world in it. think a lot of the poems in this book do that. They somehow carry the sort of the weight of living in this moment and also do it in a very sort of human way. So many of your poems are political, but they are also so much more. Mm, Um, That
1: makes me happy, Carrie. Thank you for saying that. I would hope that because I feel uh, sometimes these days of overwhelm. Um, I feel... That we need to address the issues that are concerning us, the things we would talk about with our buddies if we get together for a scrambled egg somewhere, you know, things that would come up in our conversations. I don't want to be neglecting that kind of text and concern um, in order to write a poem that is just, you know, waxing eloquent about something um, that seems more resolved or lovely or peaceful. We are living in a complicated time. And to me, to mix those things up is part of what I'm always trying to do in a poem, have have both elements, and also have them be conversational um, in a way that enables a listener to the poem or a reader to feel like, hey, I'm in that conversation too. I'm wondering that same thing. Mm-hmm. I've always liked poems that made me feel more in my life after I read them. And um, so that's definitely part of our time. I did, in this book, Voices in the Air, try my best as a kind of practice to think about voices who had Contributed to my life in really meaningful ways, whether they were people i'd met or people i'd only read, like Langston Hughes or Emily Dickinson, um people whose voices were with me always as a as a sustenance and I urge um everybody to you know refer back to those voices if you haven't gone to find uh the poets you loved most when you were eighteen any time recently, go see who they were and read what they said, and I think um they can
0: give you a lot of wisdom about how to approach this moment i think that's one of the things that i love so much about your poetry i mean it's hard for me to separate my relationship with you from your poetry but when i can when i objectively look at you your poems that is one of the things that i think is so difficult to achieve in a poem you do it so um you do it so well that you make it seem effortless and that is that you Your voice is like a vehicle for other voices and your voice, it lifts up. Mm. It's not like I don't ever feel like you, the poet, are kind of proclaiming. And I think that's why so many people gravitate to your voice as a poet. It's It's a voice that is generous in both its capaciousness and also in its sort of craft, you know, it's just a generous, it's a generous voice. And that is a very wow. hard thing to do in poetry. I think it is a difficult balancing act. And I think that one might one of my old teachers, not you, <laughs> I've had a couple others, but, you know, said, of um, he was talking about the poet, the poet Adelia Prado. And he said, she's such a master, she's such a masterful poet, that she makes writing poetry feel effortless. So that when you're reading her poetry, I feels, love her poems, you, know, you just enter yeah. and you, you know, the poem holds you up as the reader. And I think so many of the poems in this book especially um, do that. And I really love this poem, too, but this book of poems, too, because, uh, well, on, on the way over here, I was driving with my daughter who is eight and she was deep in this book. She said, Aww. "Do you have to take the book away from me. I said yes. I have to go interview Naomi, and she's, you know. So, how do you think of this book in terms of its audience? Well, Green Willow Books is
1: um, a publisher for kids and young adults, so you know they are hoping for an audience of teenagers, and um, I would hope that it also crosses over to adults. But I've hoped that with so many of my books that they could have a a broad horizon of age. Because, um, you know, the truth is we continue to be all these ages at once. And, uh, you know, things that appeal to us at different ages might still appeal to us later, I hope. So I hope there's a little blur in the audience range. Um, Thank you for what you said, Carrie, though.
0: That means a lot to me. So much. I'm realizing only right now that when I first had you as a teacher back, that was like eight years ago, In the middle of that semester, I was dramatically, perhaps obsessively, considering leaving graduate school because I felt so out of place. And what I did in the middle of the night was I wrote you an email. Do you remember that? I said no, i don't i i I, don't. I feel like I don't have the language to speak about poetry in oh. class, I feel lost I feel okay, like... that's
1: ringing a bell now, yes. I, I'm remembering. and you that.
0: wrote me an email that i it was two thousand one, and I still yeah, so that's have to keep way more that than eight years that's more like we're talking, oh yes of course, oh, it's see, like seventeen years yeah, seventeen years ago see <laughs> the
1: blurb time blurb. i just mi- I missed ten yeah. years but... I was just thinking, wait a minute, I yeah, met no, you way I'm way longer of course, than of, course. Than that. of course, yeah,
0: but i How many do you receive? I mean, it just makes me wonder, do you receive a lot of these emails? (laughs) Um, I receive
1: very interesting emails. I think poets are lucky. We get interesting mail. We get interesting requests and invitations and a lot of emails, you know, that are fascinating. And um, yeah, so I think that's a lucky byproduct of of being a poet. But I do, when you say that, that you remember you didn't have the language to talk about poetry. I remember Mm -hmm. now what you're And I I thought from the beginning, you were such a natural poet. Your voice was so um, palpable to me and to everyone in the class. I could just feel it. Like when you read one of your poems around the table, it was as if we were transported from that table right down the street here in Austin to another place, another time in your own life. And that to me has always been... um, a gift and a mark of of poetry that that moves us, that we can be instantly transported. I love the quote from Rita Dove, where she says, poetry is the most intimate and immediate of genres. And that seems true to me. You know, poems that really touch us and affect us, we're in another place when we read them. We're in that poet's place. We are um, in a bigger life instantly. We're in a different mind. What a gift that is.
0: You travel the world now, not only the country, the world, uh, teaching poetry to people of all ages in this new book, Voices in the Air, Poems for Listeners. I feel like there's so much of that experience, of your experience as a teacher and as someone who is sort of like an ambassador to, uh, uh, for poetry out in the world, like so many of the, I mean, even this, the poem that you just read, the first poem in the collection, is about uh, receiving an email from a student. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how your life as a teacher has informed your life as a poet. Well, I think there's always uh, an exchange of
1: energy going on. And so over the years, you know, you have to find ways to kind of balance the energies. A lot of teachers talk about they just don't have energy to write themselves because they're they're giving so much that they're out there, you know, sharing, conducting, helping others work, but then they're depleted when it comes time to their own work. So, um, you know, in my own life, starting out very young as a visiting poet, thank you, Texas Commission on the Arts who uh, backed my life as a visiting artist when I was young and helped so many artists in Texas um, find, you know, find a way to be in schools, be with kids, be encouraging. Um, We had to be flexible. We had to move around all the time. We had to, I mean, like from school to school and group to group. But it's been the best life imaginable for me. And even after You know, the years of working for programs supported by the Texas Commission, um, I continued working in similar ways uh, all over the world, as you say. And I'm frequently in my mind just going back and remembering like an evening in Tokyo when all the kids brought their parents or an evening in China in a boarding school when all these kids who only four days later had told me their English wasn't good enough to write poetry, suddenly wanted to give a reading to anyone who wanted to come. And it was just an overwhelming, tearful, beautiful experience because their poems in English were spectacular. And you think, you know, how does this happen? It's certainly not because of me. It's because of poetry and accessibility to language, and the tools of language, and certain simple practices that teachers can promote. You know, one thing I've always promoted with kids is regular writing. Like, just scribble little things down every day. Don't wait for a big idea. Don't wait till Saturday. Um, Tonight, when you go home, write three things down from this day that you want to remember. And, you know, even right now, I'm in a moment where I'm looking back at what I wrote down in July, and I realize... I would have completely forgotten those three things. I would They would never have occurred to me again. I know they were in my memory somewhere. But now when I read them again, they're magical. And I can see why I picked those three things out from the whole day. And I'm so relieved that even on exhausted evenings after babysitting for my beautiful two-and-a-half-year-old grandson, that I would sit down and write three things he said or three things we noticed Um Because now I have that material. So just becoming aware of our own material. I feel like that's a gift that poetry has given me in my own life since I was a child. And it's something I can certainly pass on. And it doesn't require tons of energy on the part of a teacher just to promote practice. You know, this is what I do. You can do it too. Um, And then you'll have stuff to work with. You'll have, you know, all kinds of little details and conversations that would have just drifted off with the last
0: rainstorm maybe this is an impossible question but it occurs to me that I'd love to hear you wonder aloud what your life as a poet would be like if for whatever circumstances you didn't teach if you didn't go around and spread this uh this yeah
1: um I I don't even know it's so hard at this point after Being in so many classrooms and venues over the years. And, you know, I never planned to be a teacher. You could have asked me on the day that I uh, graduated from college, um, are you going to be a teacher? And I would have said, no way. I didn't take a single education course. How could I be a teacher? But I've spent all my life in classrooms, which seems really astonishing. And I've loved it. And I don't love it any less right now after all these years than I did in the beginning. But it was that sense that you have a chance to encourage You know, I always loved the galway Canal quote, um, oh, yeah, I believe in workshops in as much as they are encouraging. And I think about that when I go to meet a whole new group of kids, um, when I'm presented with a situation that seems like, oh, this one might be a little difficult, you know, when I'm in Dubai and these rowdy freshmen in high school are sent in to me and they've just had a big test and they all look like they could pass out. And I think, okay, how am I going to engage with this group of primarily Arab, but, you know, international kids? What can I possibly say in a few sessions that will help them be the poets I know they are? And, you know, it's amazing when it works and it it always does work. That's the thing that has amazed me most, even the most challenging situation and setting. I mean, I remember actually somewhere in West Texas, maybe Abilene being sent into a school cafeteria without a microphone and given like 300 kids and told, okay, give them a poetry experience now and thinking, well, this is, (laughs) this is really a challenge. Could anything good happen here? And you have to be uh, flexible and you have to you know have a lot of little strategies in your toolkit i mean i never thought of myself as an intellectual which is probably helpful when you're trying to do a backbend with 300 kids and figure out how to you know bring them to attention uh but i did think of myself as someone who paid good attention from early childhood so you know i could to go home and be able to think, I think I noticed um, three things in that room that neither of my parents noticed. You know, that was important to me, that I was watching and listening carefully for some details. So I think as a poet, that has served me well.
0: Thinking about um, W.S. Merwin, who you're very close with, and have been reading a lot about his life recently and thinking a lot about the impulse to Go to a place and stay there, like he did going to Hawaii and not sort of knowing what was ahead of him, and then buying this piece of property and not knowing what was ahead of him, and just sort of following that instinct. And so I hear what you're saying. It's like it's inextricably linked to who you are, it's yeah. just your impulse. And maybe, maybe teacher is not the proper word for what you do, but do you like it? Doesn't ever seem like okay, someday I will wander off into the whatever is your favorite spot on earth and will be you know there and not traveling around and not teaching well um i 'm so happy that you brought up William Merwin because I love
1: him and respect him so much for the last uh, well since I was in college i 've loved and respected him, but I got to know him thirty years ago. And and was very close with his wife Paula as well, and have stayed close. I was a board member of the Merwin Conservancy for some years, uh, which is the wonderful organization that will continue the initiative of his property and his um his uh commitment to environmental care there and also poetry for kids of Hawaii and helping them think about place. In a crucial way. Um, but William Merwin, he had an instinct as a very young man that he was not to be a teacher. He knew that. And so that's why he became a translator. He also had a great facility with languages, which I don't have, but he, um, you know, studied, spoke different languages and was able to work for the BBC and work as a translator and uh, trans bring all kinds of voices into English. And, um, That was a commitment that he had, a very generous commitment on his part, um, because he loved other voices, not just his own. And I think of him as the most humble uh, person in many ways um, whom I've ever had an opportunity to be with, you know, living simply and um, getting ready to turn 91 right now. And I have a poem in a forthcoming book about him and how he always plucked... um, junk mail envelopes out of the trash can to write on that was his first draft paper because he cared about paper and also it lowered the uh demand you know this doesn't have to be perfect it doesn't have to be a masterpiece if i'm writing on a junk mail envelope and just practices in his own life a life of simplicity Uh, of course he would end up traveling all over the world and reading his poems sharing his poems sharing other people's poems um But being a voice of profound um, honor and integrity and, you know, really speaking out politically when he needed to, which he has needed to um, so much over the years. I just admire him. And he's one of our living heroes and everyone should look at recent films made about him. Uh, They're available or you should look at interviews he's given over the years. And uh, he's very, very strong and clear in his vision. Um, And in that way is instructive.
0: He His is instructive. Is, is it's
1: as if he was a teacher. He was an embodied teacher, mm-hmm. uh, just in the way many Zen teachers might decline, say, well, I'm not really a teacher. But they are a teacher in every move they make. Every Like he never even wanted to be called a Zen Buddhist, although he's been very devoted to the practices of Zen Buddhism over the years. But um, yeah, figuring out what we can do how we need to do it. I do think poetry helps us do that in our own lives. And it's been very instructive and touching to me over the years, um, since I've, thank goodness, been around a long time now, that I've been able to meet again people I met when they were young in their classrooms. And they say things like, well, you made us keep notebooks, and we didn't think that was really going to help us. And you said we'd find out about ourselves. And I would have never known, as a woman said to me in a grocery store, Um, that I had to be a filmmaker if I hadn't kept notebooks. Those notebooks were giving me a path that none of the people around me could give. I was able to see um, what I was devoted to, what made me happiest. Um, I think everyone should feel free to write political poems these days, by the way. Mm. You know, sometimes people come in a little... um, apologetic, saying things like, oh, I know I shouldn't be writing about politics. My first thing I would say is, why not? You know, as a half-Palestinian person, I feel very committed to pointing out uh, the ongoing travesty of injustice that is happening in Palestine and Israel that many Israeli Jewish people would also be pointing out. Just look at Miko Peled, a spokesperson for human rights on both sides. Look at what the current U.S. government has been declining aid to hospitals, aid to children's, aid to all kind of programs that are not primarily political, mm-hmm. while at the same time committing 38 billion more dollars for um, weapons to Israel mm-hmm. over the next 10 years, and it's a really serious time. If I didn't write about that and talk about it, even when it may seem a little inappropriate, I would feel like I'm not doing my job. Mm-hmm. I have a voice, but I'm not using it. You know, the Palestinian half of me is crying. Mm -hmm. You know, remember us. Mm -hmm. And people who do not know about the circumstances of extreme apartheid that are going on need to inform themselves.
0: Mm -hmm. I am interested to ask you this question because I ask everyone I interview this question and I am most interested in hearing this from you because you, as a teacher and as a poet, have brought so many people to poetry yourself. I wonder how did you come to poetry? As a did you write as a child? How did how did poetry come to you, or you come to poetry? Well, luckily, I
1: came to poetry because I heard it first, and I could tell I could recognize. My mother read poems to me. I recognized, like after hearing maybe Emily Dickinson a few nights in a row, that there was something happening in that language that did not happen in kind of transactional conversation. Uh, It was more particular, more focused, brief. It just hovered there in the air. And I think I would have been about three or four when I recognized this as a better kind of words, a better kind of using words. And so when I was six and actually learned how to write, a first impulse I had was wanting to write um, my own poems. And uh, I had gone, say, to public library. You know, we have these toddler reading circles you can take kids to. Uh, I think that was instructive for me, too, because I'm sure I heard the librarian read poems. Um, and to know what a poem was before I had read many of them for myself, that was important. And then to know how short a poem could be, And then stop was also important, that you could just put a few, three, four lines out there and then stop. That was big enough. And so that felt doable, you know, when I was six. And then to have an early experience where an older girl, maybe an eight-year-old said, I know what you mean, was very compelling to me. I thought, whoa, it worked. She read my poem and she knows what I mean. That's amazing. And so I was, you know, racing to the library at school after school Asking for poems, asking for poetry books, um, asking for a poetry anthology for Christmas. And I still have uh, the one that was given to me. Um, Favorite Poems, Old and New, edited by Helen Ferris, which has been in publication for like 70 years nonstop, which is an amazing book. Um, You know, so being exposed to poems was important for me. And I started sending poems to magazines when I was seven. And it was, and that was because the librarian told me I could. Um, I, I wasn't trying to prove anything. I wasn't trying to get extra credit. I don't think we had extra credit in Ferguson, Missouri in those days. But um, I knew that it would be amazing if a poem was printed in a magazine that kids I had never read could read it. So that was intriguing. And uh, to this day, I've never had a publishing agent. Um, and, you know, to even have now a more official job Uh, working at Texas State with poets or fiction writers as well are welcome to come to our workshops is such a privilege to me because I feel that, you know, by sharing one another's work, new things happen. And, you know, we can't predict what will happen in our workshops that will move somebody forward for the rest of their lives. And I think, you know, no one could have predicted that my mom randomly picking Emily Dickinson to read to me because the text was short enough. You know, she wasn't particularly a poetry driven person. She was a painter, a visual artist. And, um, but a poem was shorter than a novel. So you could read it to your kid. Um, one of the best experiences I had as a parent, um, which was not an original idea. I got this from a farmer in Oklahoma was reading our son awake between the ages of 13 and when he left to college, I would go to his room door and read like three poems to him as a wake-up call because we learned early on that the alarm in his room didn't seem to wake him up. So if I went and stood in the doorway and read three poems, that was the first language coming out of my mouth in the morning. I was speaking to the person I loved so much, beautiful poems. I found myself reading a lot of Japanese and Chinese ancient poetry poetry, um, again, because it was short, because it was image-driven and universal, timeless in its welcome to a new day. Um, and he loved it. You know, he's, he he thought that was a quirky mom thing. But to have poems come out of my mouth uh, as a wake-up call was, I, I guess I was sort of passing on what my mother had done with me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did She's you bring so a good. poem to
1: share with us? Well, I wanted to share a poem by... A beloved friend of mine, he lived in Kent, Ohio, and uh, I mean, he was a very scholarly guy. He was a community activist as well. Um, Mage Reagan. He died this year. His voice lives on. He was one of the kindest people I have ever met. And this is from his last book called Clouds Pile Up in the North, new and selected poems by Mage Reagan. M-A-J, Reagan, R-A-G-A-I-N. And the book came out from Press 53 in North Carolina. Many of the books in this poem are written as letters to people Mage has has known or people he remembers, people he knew through books. This is called Living Day to Day is Never What It Seems. Oh, Daniel. What is this life we share in snow and cold and hope, barren trees and drums, poems and hostage hearts, and the body's secret life, midnight accordions, the grief of widows, pale sunlight on an oak table, a window facing west. That's a beautiful poem. Mages' poems often call us to attention, things that are right around us, um, kind of messages we haven't answered that are haunting us, Mm -hmm. and I urge people to
0: read him. He was a beautiful soul. And you get a sense in that poem of the place where he spent his life. Yeah.
1: And is it possible, can I say one thing to Carrie about her own work? You've already said something really nice. (sighs) Should
0: I not? Could she I just say any. one thing? She said you could say anything. Okay, time. I
1: said the thing about the around the table, which I've always really <laughs> wanted to say. But, but, Carrie, I want to speak up also for your novel, I'm not missing, which is such a delicious, fantastic read. I've been talking about it everywhere I go because people always ask me, tell us some good things you've read in the last few years that you would recommend. And I was so captivated by your book. Um, I felt as if the characters were part of my own life. I felt as if I became a teenager again in your book. And, you know, thinking about your book since I first read it, too, it's as if it keeps becoming more and more relevant to our time in a weird, almost an eerie way. So I urge anyone who hasn't read Carrie Fountain's book, I'm not missing. Get it. Don't miss it.
0: You're about the best thing ever in the whole world. Everything good in my life has come from Uh. Naomi. You can find Naomi Shihab Nye's poem, To Manage, in her new book, Voices in the Air, Poems for Listeners, out now from Green Willow Books. This is Just to Say is produced at KUT Radio in Austin, Texas. I'm Carrie Fountain. Thanks for listening.